0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Last week and today, we were continuing this kind of conversation about life's transitions and then finding, identifying God in the midst of what happens in life's transitions in life. There is inevitably a season of transition happening in the life of this church and for all of us. And just, I might say that the Bible has a lot to say about this and the promises of God are faithful and what it means for you as a body of Christ and what it means for all of us as Christ followers, because it is a time for all of us to deepen our prayer life a time of deep faith, a time of deep commitment to each other and to the Lord. This is a time to lean into one another and a time to lean into this church family because God's got this thing figured out. God's got this thing mapped out. God knew about this before the foundation of the world. And God knew all of this and has known everything since the foundation of the world. God's got the next chapter already written. And so to be expectant and excited about what's going to unfold. So today is the second-to-last sermon I will be delivering here. So as I depart, some closing thoughts here. I would thought it would be... So we'll be out by 3 o'clock. Don't worry about it. We'll be out by 3. The Steelers play on Monday. I understand. So guess what? So, so, okay, Steelers play on Monday. Uh, So we've got enough time, right? Um, So we'll be out by Monday morning. no, there is a game happening, but I understand. So anyway, as I begin to depart some of these thoughts to you, just want through important, like just kingdom of God church and to rehearse what it means to be part of the glorious inheritance, be part of the family of God, what it means to be a part of the church. There is nothing in this world that's quite like being a part of the church and belonging to the church, and there's nothing more glorious than being part of the family of God and calling yourself a member part of the family of God, and how amazing it is to be a part of the family of God in all of its messiness and chaos and imperfection. It is the body of Christ and is the family of God. It is not perfect. Amen? It is not perfect. It is not always glamorous. We fail often. We do not always get things right, but it's Christ's church. It's his church, and it's always been about Jesus the church has always been centered around Jesus Christ. It always will. And Ephesians two, chapter nineteen, or verse nineteen, says, "Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His." Spirit is the cornerstone in the land, in the times of the Bible, a cornerstone was the stone by which all the other stones were built upon. And so the stones were every other stone was laid upon that particular stone. And it's Jesus, excuse me, who is the chief cornerstone. And it's this promise that Jesus gives us. And he says alone in Matthew 4, 18, it's this promised church that so he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The beautiful picture is that despite life's ups and downs and twists and turns, the church's foundation will always be about Jesus. It will always be centered upon Jesus, always centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we talked about last week these moments of transition or hinge moments. And so this is kind of a little bit definition about this, that these hinge moments are places when something is going to change in our lives, whether we like it or not. And then what follows will depend on the decisions that you and I make and the actions that we take upon those decisions because seasons, series, seasons of transition are absolutely inevitable for all of us. And, I mean, if we think about all the transitions in life. I mean, you ask someone to marry you and you plan for that in years and months in advance or you plan for your future as you exit high school and college in the next season. Sometimes these do not go often according to plan. And we try to plan these out. We try to sort of have all of our ducks in a row and whatnot. But more often than not, we will not end up doing or thinking and thinking where we'll be right now when we try to plan our ducks in a row. Oftentimes, it does not happen that way. But we're to know this. As we were reminded last week, we're rem- we are to know this, church. I pray that you'd hang on to this closely to your heart. That we are promised over and over again that there is one who does hold the future that we are promised over and over again that there is somebody who holds the future for all of us. All across the scriptures are these moments in time where people are called to step out and step boldly into the unknown by faith that God was gonna take care of them and continue to unfold the plan that he had for their lives. This is only by God's amazing grace and mercy. And this faith and exercising faith happened from the very beginning, happened from early on, from the life of Abraham and the Israelites. I mean, just the whole thing all over the Bible, exercised faith in an amazing, an amazing way particular seasons and exercises and trust. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a what? Blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. For Abraham, if you notice that verse, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. There was no land. He had had to, that plan had to be unfolded to him. There's no specific land given there. No mention of a place. Simply put, God was calling him to trust him to the place that he had not fully realized quite yet. And Abraham was a leader of a nation of people called the Israelites. He had not been there before, and yet God was calling him to go there wasn't a lot of information. It was simply, go and I'll lead you. And Abraham did exactly what God called him to do. In Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews 11, it's this great chapter in the Bible, and it's all about people in the Bible who are commended in their faith. Great chapter. And in verse 8, we get to Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even that he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Sometimes the unknownness of our future kind of places a fog in our mind, and it's natural for us to that, to feel scary at times, But it's this clear message that is all across the scriptures, church, all across the Bible. Do not be afraid. And that rings true for us as well. You see, the Lord walks beside us in the high and low points of our journey and is at this very moment preparing something for us and preparing something for us, something very well. Every new threshold in life presents us with the chance to pass into new territory and to carve new paths to venture out into new territories. We are cognizant of the one who holds the future. We are cognizant, church, of the one who holds the future together. And we trust him in that endeavor. Today, we are going to a passage in the New Testament toward the latter half of the Bible, toward the book of Ephesians. In fact, it's pretty much like almost to the near the end of your Bible. If you want to kind of flip there and kind of find it there, it's on page... 827 of that bible in front of you if you'd like to go there. Big picture, this is Ephesians. This is a letter, a book of Ephesians and writer of this letter is to the church in Ephesus this is a guy by the name of Paul and Paul had a checkered past. He had a history of actually killing people who followed God and he was dramatically converted on Damascus road, ordinary road and God had met him on that road and he He uh, began with this fire because of that conversion to plant churches and to tell people about Jesus and to plant new churches and to build up these churches and leaders and all across the known world at the time. And Paul writes much of your New Testament in the second half of your Bible. In fact, 13 of those 27 books are written by this guy named Paul. And this man received this gospel after years of hard heartedness, just absolutely did not want anything to do with Jesus. And then Christ finds him, and he's converted. It's this dramatic conversion. He has this missionary life and this life of purpose. And this this letter is all about what it means to be a part of the church, and to have Jesus as the source of of your life, and the implications of that, and what it looks like to be a part of the church. And if you think of the book of the letter to the Ephesians, is was a place in that day called Ephesus. And Ephesus was quite large and formidable at the time. Major city at that known world at the time. Magnificent. If you would have walked through Ephesus of the day, quite formidable in those days. Magnificent statues and magnificent things dominated the city around it. The goddess Artemis was the god of love and it dominated that city. And there was this young church that Paul reminds them in the letter to the Ephesians, he reminds them of who they are and encourages them that they may look at what's around them and others and what they're seeing, and you may feel intimidated by the culture and the world around you. But Paul says to that church, and I believe the Lord says to us today, look at who you are in Christ. Christ is greater. Look at Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Let that be your guide and your anchor. Be reminded of this glorious calling that you have been called toward. Let that guide you through all of life's challenges and comings and goings. Let let me, as Jesus would say, just let me be the anchor for the church and for you as a Christ follower. And you may think that the culture is, is caving in on the church, but nothing will stop Christ's church. We are reminded that it is Jesus who builds his church. Nothing will stop it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. If you are visiting with us, we are glad that you're here. We at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures, and I pray that you would find a church that does the same thing. Preaches, teaches the scriptures faithfully. It's in your Bible on 827 on the Bible in front of you, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. Start there. It says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray for that for this church as well. I pray that we would all continue to know Jesus better and better. not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There was a word early on in that verse that jumped out at me, and that word is hope. God has called each and every one of us to live a life of hope. And it's this time that Ephesus, third largest city in the known world at the time, Christians were very, very young, young church, just getting off the ground. And it's where Paul's like, the hope to which he has called you, the hope in Jesus very young church, and Paul prays for these Christians at that time to remember the good news about Jesus, that it would indwell deep within their lives, and that they would remember the things that God has done, and that God has done the same for each and every single one of us literally called us to a life of hope with him. And yet we know that word hope has been sort of lost. Sometimes our culture offers no basis for hope, and for all of its advantage, all of its advantages, you see, but we look at the world news. We look at world wars, we look at terrorism, crime, diseases to undo us, and notice the things that we listen to and let feed our mind. In fact, the ancient world was so, and I've mentioned this before, but the ancient world had this sense of fate and just despair in those days. In fact, in the the ancient days, it was so pervasive that their situation, they had very little hope to their better life in the ancient world. There was a sense of apathy even in the world of Paul's day. It was so pervasive that tombs were literally inscribed with the letters NFFNSNC. And that stood for the Latin word non fui, fui, non sum, non curo, And it means I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. And we are asking God among all the hungers that we attempt to fill us in our minds that we may think that might be true about us, whether Netflix or scrolling through Facebook or money or investments or what have you, our careers, and that we behold of what it means to truly be called by God and that he might raise us from death to life. Notice too, it says this, we we find this from this, from these few verses, that we cannot experience Christ outside the church. The fullness of Jesus cannot be experienced outside of the church. And he says that this emptiness that we may be experiencing is filled in part of being a part of Christ's church. God knows that we are stronger together, and this is best done in the context of a group, that the church is just stronger when it's together, and we are made for each other. And there's this word in verse 18 that's tied to hope. And in verse 18, I just want to highlight this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has what? Called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What's that word? It's calling. And you have been called, church. You and I have been called. We have been specifically chosen and called to live a life of hope. And Paul prays that their eyes of their heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He has called you and I to a life of hope. And he has uniquely called the church to a life of hope together. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we find this similarly. Walk worthy of God who has what? Called you into his kingdom. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and what? Called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And it goes on like that. We are called. And that term appears in Scripture in the Old Testament In the New Testament, over 700 times. And the church is best identified when it is called. And called according to his purpose. Peter picks up the same thing, 1 Peter 5, verse 10, and basically says what Paul said, the God of all grace who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. We are called by God. And that is the reason we are what we are. Because that explains us, basically. Here's a promise to also hold on to church Nothing will stop Christ's church. Nothing will stop Christ's church. This is going to come through the work of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And when you think of a gate, a gate is something that keeps things contained. Death itself will not overtake the church of Jesus Christ, meaning nothing will stop the church of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who holds the church together. Through all the shifting and sifting this world and chaotic world that this life may have to offer, It is the gift of the church and the gift of Jesus that we hang on to. It's the promise that this is Christ's church. (laughs) This is Christ's church. The culture may come and go. We may think we need the ideal circumstances. We may feel like we need all of our ducks in a row as well for the church to thrive or the right climate in our world. But church, we've got the promise and the authority of Jesus that he will build his church no matter what. No matter what policy is put in place, no matter how far things we feel like they're taken, that Jesus will build his church no matter what. And its author and pastor, A.W. Tozer, says this, that the church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. We are not like the world, but we reach the world, we reach the culture in which we live, and it feels like the things of God and maybe the things of the church are caving in. And may think like God has kind of stepped off of his throne, he's still on his throne. And the church, it may feel like the church might be at all-time low, but Jesus gives us this promise that nothing will stop the church because Jesus is Lord and he's an authority over the church. It's his church. And it's this calling happens in Matthew 16. And this word is assembly. This word is the in the original language is called, the church is called the assembly. And Jesus says this to Peter in Matthew 16, that literally means the called out ones. The church is a group of people gathered together. It is not itself the building, but it's the people that gather together. And if we are all of us the called out ones, and it means that we have been called out of something, out of death and sin, to Jesus. We've been called out to someone, and that someone is Jesus, because we are not like organizations of the world. We are part of the family of God, and the church is God's plan A to reach the world, and we are set apart. The local church is the hope of the world, and the church is God's plan A to reach the world. We are set apart so that the world may know who Jesus is. So what does unity look like? What does unity look like in a world of social media political divides, people that are hard, community that feels uncomfortable. In an age of individualism, more cell phones, television, and the like, it feels like unity is just kind of kind of like this rubber band that's just about to break. Jesus specifically prays for unity for his disciples before his last week, before his last hours, before he's about to leave them. In John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also that those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them will be, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete what? Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And you may be saying, that's great, Jesus, but he's a little out of touch with the 21st century. You don't understand the co-workers that I have, the friends, the family that God has placed, that you placed in my life. He simply doesn't know the issues that the church faces in the world nowadays. Doesn't seem to fit anymore. Maybe he's lost a step in reality. Maybe you're asking yourself this. So if we are called to, a uni- to be a church built on Jesus, which means a church built on unity. Why do we miss the mark of that? Why isn't the church perfect? (laughs) Why is it sometimes really messy? Why is it sometimes that things in church life just do not measure up and sometimes we are let down? And that one word is sin. Because we're sinful people, and sin is a real thing. And we have an enemy, Satan, who wants nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. Absolutely wants to destroy it and tear it down. Because there's a real enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to do everything he can to tear down the church. And he doesn't want anything to do with even us or you gathering here today. He wants to tear it down. Doesn't want anything to do with the Spirit of God. Anything to do with us gathering Anything you do, he will stop the mission of the church. Absolutely nothing. And we've got to be the kind of people that just hate the sight of sin. It's deadly. It's destructive. And sin is separation from God. And while we were in sin, Jesus died to bring us back into relationship with God and the fullness of a human being. And you may say, why did he have to die such a horrific death? Why all the bloodiness and pain of the cross? Because as soon as we sin in the Garden of Eden, As soon as we sit in the garden, death set foot on the ground. And it was only by Jesus packing his bags to Bethlehem at the moment that you and I are all here today. And it says, you're worth it. I don't want to go through this world without you. I don't want to lose you. All of us here today. In fact, he'll send his one and only son, and I'll step off the throne, and I'll go through this life and abandonment and torture and ridicule and loneliness, and I will choose you over and over again. And that's what Jesus has done. Because every hammer of the nail on the cross and every slash of the whip that you and I were on God's mind, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, and it means that your sin does not define you. Whatever people may say about you or ridicule you or slander you, it means that your sin does not define you. All of your sins laid out before the throne of God, crossed out, paid in full, and accepted and chosen and adopted as people before God the Lord. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son, and he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. And you may say this glorious grace, this picture of what the church, holy, dearly loved, picture, grace, kindness. You may say, pastor, that's great, but people are messy. And relationships are hard. And groups are hard. You may be like, gathering for lunch today after church is already going to be an item with people. And you may be thinking, it's hard enough with my own immediate family. How does this work in church life? How does this work? How does this make itself known? And messy, right? Sometimes it's just messy. Reminds me of a story of Victor Munitz. He's this Brazilian artist, and he's crafted beautiful pieces of art and known around the world for his brilliant pieces of art that he has made. Here is one of those Pieces of art, as you can see here. This guy is definitely a real artist. He knows what he's doing. But here's the catch. He makes all of his art out of a mess. In fact, he makes it out of his own waste. Garbage, actually. (laughs) He's got all this place where he collects garbage from one of the largest landfills in Brazil, and he turns it into these beautiful pieces of art. And he actually shows people up close what it looks like, the trash looks like up close and personal, and then he takes them up the stairs to see the masterpiece from a higher view. This is what the whole thing looks together. This is what this is created as a masterpiece, and oftentimes the church functions in the same way. It's easy sometimes to get bogged down in those hard conversations, and it's easy to look at what's wrong with the church. But what God does is He takes us up the stairs to look at a bigger picture of a beautiful masterpiece of what He's creating, and that He's accomplishing throughout all of us, even using the muck and the mess, the big picture, all that God has done. And the church and nothing else is going to pave the way forward in this life. The church, this church, and nothing else will pave the way forward opportunities in this life. The local church is the hope of the world built on the foundation of Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. The church will pave the way for revival. The church is going to pave the way for Union Township. The church will pave the way for the city of Newcastle. The church will pave the way forward as Jesus is his cornerstone. The only message able to meet the greatest human problem, the the human problem, the human dilemma right now the message of Jesus encountered death and sin and victoriously defeated our greatest enemy, sin, so we could so that we could live in accordance with Him and live with Him forever and experience His fullness and His kingdom on earth. And if this guy can create Da Vinci's Last Supper out of chocolate syrup, portraits of Caribbean children out of sugar, Van Gogh's Starry Night out of magazines, God can certainly create beautiful masterpieces throughout His church. And what often seems and feels like a mess, even though the culture, even in the culture around us, the church is Christ's beautiful masterpiece. We are also to know this church. Hang on to this. A few things to, for us to know, as we've kind of walked through this already, but the, church, the two know church. the church is centered on Jesus. The church is centered on Jesus Christ alone. And He is the cornerstone of the church. He is our hope. Secondly, the church is a people who are called to live a life of hope. Think of it. He owns all the heavens and all the universes out there, but we are his treasures. The redeemed, are we are worth infinitely more than we could ever imagine. We are his treasure. You are his treasure, church. And what amazing truth to be reminded of that we are his treasure. Paul prays that we will see this with our heart's eyes. And I echo that prayer. We pray that we would experience the treasure of what it means to know Jesus. To know this, church, I pray as we echo this prayer from Ephesians 1, I pray that you would know Christ better and better. Never stop gazing and marveling at the work of Jesus. Never stop gazing and marveling at the work of Jesus. The moment we take our eyes off Him, the moment we fail and the moment we stumble, the moment we take our eyes off the risen Christ, the more and more the church gazes upon and looks upon and marvels upon the goodness of God through Christ, the more of that influences even our own character and our own personal life as we live and move and reign in Him. Uh, as, we, as we close, why don't you stand with us and I'll invite the team here just in a minute. But I just want to read this, these few verses from Ephesians chapter 4. And the book of Ephesians is all about living as Christ would have us live. And then what does it look like to live this life on the ground? And in chapter 4, would you rehearse this with me, church? As we read chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I'm sorry, excuse me, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, Amen? Amen. Team, will you come on up? Church, would you pray with me before we sing?